Hello and welcome to the Pilgrim Way. My name is Norman Graham and I'm a minister in the Baptist Union of Churches in Scotland. The aim of these signposts is to try and help to connect the text of the Bible with our everyday lives. Well, welcome to our series on the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to continue that by reading just a couple of verses from Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6 and verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Uh, in the previous verse, uh, the Lord's Prayer concludes with a request that God would not lead disciples into temptation. Um, the two verses that follow it are not actually a part of that, the prayer, but they kind of act as a postscript that restates the petition found in verse 12, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And the fact that this is restated now at the end of the Lord's Prayer should be enough to alert us to the importance of this issue. Jesus clearly has an expectation that his disciples will be forgiving towards those who have acted in a way that requires forgiveness. And the reasoning is, is quite simple. An unforgiving spirit is inconsistent with the experience of God's forgiveness. And so a refusal to forgive is evidence that we've not really understood the mercy and grace of God at all. Uh, forgiving others is the evidence of our awareness that we have been forgiven. As forgiven sinners, we are released from our default position of anger and unforgiveness towards those who have wounded us in some way uh, because we now understand that we are just as flawed and sinful as they are and that we required forgiveness and therefore they do also. And rather than react with wounded pride, we are freed to respond to them as God responds to us with grace and mercy. Plain and straightforward as these verses are, they present us with enormous difficulties. As C.S. Lewis notes, no part of his teaching is clearer and there are no exceptions to it. He doesn't say that we are to forgive other people's sins provided they're not too frightful or provided there are extenuating circumstances or anything of that sort. We are to forgive them all, however spiteful, however mean, however often they are repeated, and if we don't, we shall, uh, we shall not be forgiven, or we shall be forgiven none of our own. The unconditional nature of the demand that we forgive others and the penalty for failing to do so points us forward in Matthew's Gospel to chapter 18, where Jesus tells the parable of the unforgiving servant in response to a question from Peter, who asks him, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Now, I think there are a couple of things behind Peter's question. Firstly, the question comes in response to Jesus' teaching in Matthew 18, verses 15 to 20, about the proper process of discipline amongst believers, uh, which should always have as its goal the restoration of a sinning brother or sister. In such circumstances, we must always be willing to forgive the offender and restore anyone who repents. However, the reality is, of course, that a person may not be genuinely repenting and may only be putting on a show. 
before continuing on in their sin. If someone uh, asks for forgiveness for gossiping about you and then continues to gossip about you, you well, it's hardly the case that they've, they're sorry for what they did. Such people can and have caused a great deal of damage in the lives of others and in the life and witness of the church in the world. And it shouldn't escape our attention that our questions about forgiveness often betray our desire to place limits on our requirement to forgive. We want to place boundary lines so that we can do just what is required and no more, uh, the the minimum required. Um, However, Jesus completely rejects any boundary lines that we would like to establish. Secondly, we ought to remember that there is a Jewish background to Peter's question. It's often assumed that Judaism is a religion of law and rules that promotes salvation by works, but that's not actually the case because grace is at the heart of Judaism. I mean, it was by grace that God chose Israel to be his own people in the first place. Uh, Throughout the First Testament, forgiveness comes from the God of grace who through sacrifices and the shedding of blood provided the necessary uh, atonement for sin. The flip side of that is that uh, God also punished the guilty and so people were concerned to know that they'd been forgiven for their transgressions. Now by Jesus' time, Judaism taught that you only had to forgive someone three times in order to demonstrate that you had a forgiving spirit. According to the rabbinic tradition, repeat offenders were probably not really repenting at all and the rabbis said that if someone committed a transgression, they could be given the first, second and even the third time but not the fourth time. And it's that teaching in particular that lies behind Peter's question uh, and also Jesus' teaching here. Peter probably thought that he was being generous by offering to give the offender up to seven times, more than double that required within his native religious culture. But Jesus' response must have shocked his disciples, for he, he answers Peter and he tells them that Peter must forgive 70 times seven uh, and uh, or, or some, some translations say seven times seven or some say 70 times um, and it's very unlikely that Jesus is placing a specific numerical limit rather he seems to be saying that essentially that the number of times is not really the issue what is the issue is that we continue to forgive without keeping count 70 times seven was a huge number to count to uh, in those days uh, Jesus further emphasises that in uh, this in the parable of the unforgiving servant that follows in Matthew eighteen twenty three to thirty five, his point clearly being that G- that Peter and the other disciples must go on forgiving without measure, because the reality of Peter's own forgiveness is demonstrated in the way which God uh, uh, forgives others. None of us deserves to be forgiven by God. And we will never be able to say or do anything that justifies God's mercy towards us. Yet he graciously, mercifully and completely and fully forgives us for our sins when we recognise them as such and seek his forgiveness. Considering this truth, how can we, who are in constant need of God's mercy, deny our mercy to those who have wronged us? To do so would be to suggest that we really haven't understood the gospel at all. 
In the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18, the servant, having initially been forgiven, is ultimately condemned because his lack of forgiveness towards others showed that he had not really repented of his own sins. As one scholar puts it, unforgiveness is an impediment in our own hearts to receiving God's final forgiveness. The point of these verses seems to be that the day of judgment belongs to God alone. And when we assume his sole prerogatives, i.e. not forgiving someone, we idolatrously impinge his deity, hence meriting judgment for ourselves. As the Puritan preacher Thomas Watson put it, a man can as well go to hell for not forgiving as for not believing. God's forgiveness is not a matter of him pretending that our wrongdoing is unimportant or trivial. He sends his prophet Jonah to the city of Nineveh because its wickedness has come up before him. And if they fail to repent of that wrongdoing, they are to be in no doubt that God's judgment will fall upon them. The thing is that all wrongdoing is wickedness, no matter how much we might seek to justify our own words and actions. And unless it is forgiven, there is only judgment left. Divine forgiveness does not excuse or trivialise a wrong, but is rather a deliberate act of grace that nullifies the effect of an offence. And it's to be the same with us. Forgiving someone for having wronged you isn't trivialising or, or excusing what was said or done. It's that deliberate act of grace that nullifies the effect of the offence. A failure to forgive those who have acted wrongly against us is actually self-defeating and damaging in, in several ways. Firstly, as Bishop Desmond Tutu has written, the only way to experience healing and peace is to forgive. Until we can forgive, we remain locked out of the possibility of experiencing healing and freedom, locked out of the possibility of being at peace. Without forgiveness, he says, we remain tethered to the person who harmed us. We are bound to them with chains of bitterness, tied together, trapped. Until we can forgive the person who harmed us, that person will hold the keys to our happiness. That person will be our jailer. Now, we all know bitter people, but I'm guessing that we don't want to be like them because we can see the damage that their bitterness has done to them, to their family and to their friends. Unforgiveness always leads to bitterness, which has an emotionally debilitating effect and sometimes even manifests physically in stress, tension, insomnia and other ways. When you refuse to forgive someone, your life becomes stuck in that moment. You become trapped by the events that caused the hurt in the first place. And all you can do is replay the events over and over in your mind until you are consumed by it. To paraphrase Carrie Fisher, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and then waiting for the other person to die. In contrast, Forgiveness is actually very good for us, emotionally and physically. In his book, uh, Forgive for Good, psychologist Frederick Luskin writes that in careful scientific studies, forgiveness training has been shown to reduce depression, increase hopefulness, decrease anger, 
improve spiritual connection and increase emotional self-confidence. So forgiving is actually very good for you in contrast to un not forgiving, which is very bad for us, both physically, emotionally and spiritually. Secondly, there's no getting away from it, and Jesus is very clear in, in, in this, our text today, that unforgiveness has eternal consequences. If we fail to forgive others their sins against us, then we are in danger of not having our own sins forgiven by God. Jesus is suggesting here that the unmerciful servant uh, in Matthew 18 or rather like the unmerciful, unmerciful servant in Matthew 18, an unforgiving person will find that they are not saved, but are in fact subject to judgment and the wrath of God. Forgiveness, or rather the lack of it, is such a huge issue in society and also in the church. And I've, as a, a pastor of you know, nearly 20 years and a Christian of, of over 40 years, uh, I have seen many times the damage that uh, unforgiveness has done in people's lives and in the life of the church. And so there is so much more I wish uh, I had time to say about it, um, but time's against us. Uh, for now, I, I just want to note three very important aspects of, of forgiveness. Firstly, the unconditional nature of Jesus' command here means that we have not to forgive people even, uh, sorry, we have to forgive people even when they are not sorry. And we find that very difficult because it offends our sense of justice. We feel that we have been wronged and that the other person should pay in some way, uh, that there should be consequences for them for the, the wrong that they have done. At the very least, we would want the other person to at least acknowledge that what they said or did was wrong and hurtful and to apologise. But when our relationships with others are fractured or broken, it's we and not them who have the responsibility to take the initiative to bring about healing and restoration. If we look back to Matthew 5 and 23, we're reminded that it's far more important to be reconciled with your brother than to fulfil the external duties of worship. The, the New Testament repeatedly emphasises the importance of good relationships among believers. The unity that we express amongst one another is itself an expression of the unity that we have with Christ. To maintain attitudes or to speak and act in ways that damage our unity with one another is also to damage our unity with Christ. When relationships are broken, reconciliation must be more important than retribution. The Apostle Paul reminds us that it was whilst we were sinners that Christ died for us. In other words, it was when we were not yet sorry for our sins that God acted to secure our forgiveness for them bringing about the possibility of reconciliation, bringing about the conditions where reconciliation with God could happen. We didn't deserve to be forgiven. In fact, we were so far gone in our sinfulness, we didn't even think we'd done anything that required forgiveness. The reality of our undeserved forgiveness ought to make us all the more willing to forgive others even when they don't deserve it, even when they're not sorry. And if we do that, then we'll be following in the footsteps of Christ, who modelled that kind of forgiveness for us. For we deserved retribution for our sins, 
but experienced mercy instead. And secondly, we have to face, you know, all that said, and it's all, I think, true and correct. We have to face the reality that forgiving others doesn't necessarily mean that the relationship will be restored. Forgiving others is very important for us as an individual, and it is very important for the relationship. Uh, And so it's important that we forgive. But we do that um, knowing, understanding that it may not be possible for the relationship to be reconciled. Humans are incredibly stubborn and we often refuse to admit we've done anything wrong in the first place. So although forgiveness can be offered, it's not always accepted. I I know in my own life there are some people who have harmed me greatly uh, and I have managed by the grace of God to get to a place of forgiving them. Um, But it's not possible to be reconciled with them actually because there is no acknowledgement from them um, that they have done any wrong in the first place and one of the things that Desmond Tutu and others say is that you know the the first step towards um, that kind of reconciliation is to tell the truth of what happened and uh, some people are just not willing to do that so where does that leave your relationship with them well my relationship with the people that I know in that situation is that um, I will do them no harm I've forgiven them. I, I'm not able to, to bring about reconciliation, but I'm not willing to do them any harm either. And I think that's really important. In those kind of situations, we've still got to offer forgiveness, not merely because we're commanded to do so, but because but because ultimately, forgiving others does something good in us. It brings the healing and the peace and the freedom that we long for, but which we cannot have as long as we remain Unforgiving, because when we remain unforgiving, we allow a root of bitterness into our lives that takes over our lives. Uh, and forgiving others frees us from bitterness and stops us becoming trapped in a hurtful moment in our past and therefore allows us to move forward into a more positive future. Lastly, we've got to acknowledge, therefore, that forgiveness is costly. Uh, you know, if you forgive someone who's not uh, willing to apologise or be reconciled or to even acknowledge that what they did was wrong, then you have to, that, 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 there's a cost to, to forgiving that person because you have to be willing to sacrifice, to give up your right to an apology, your right to vengeance, your right to retribution. Um, forgiveness will always have a cost whether it's our pride, time, money, whatever forgiveness will always cost us in a variety of ways but it will always cost us something and if we ever needed a reminder of the awesome cost of having sins forgiven well we look no further than Jesus who took upon himself the wrath of God for our sins in his death on the cross as the old hymn puts it in my place condemned he stood. Paul writes in Romans 5, you see, just at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. 
God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Forgiveness, reconciliation, always costs. Sometimes, no matter how willing you are to forgive, reconciliation isn't possible. But we must still forgive and bear the cost of that forgiveness, even as Jesus bore the cost of our forgiveness. Perhaps the final and most important thing to say about forgiveness is that it is motivated and empowered by love. It has love as its ultimate goal and aim. God's forgiveness towards us is a demonstration of his love for us. And when we forgive others, we are demonstrating our love for them. And it just might be the case that God is demonstrating his love for them through us. As I said, forgiveness is a hugely important issue. If you would like to know more about it, or if it's an issue that you're really wrestling with uh, in your own life, well, there's two books that I would recommend for you to read. Both are, um, I think, combined, they're the best uh, two books that I've ever read uh, on the subject of uh, forgiveness. Uh, One is... Um, this one here it is the, the Book of Forgiving by Bishop Desmond Tutu and his daughter. And uh, it, it, it has a lot of fantastic teaching about forgiveness, uh, but there are also some um, practical exercises that you can do to help you forgive. Uh, and the other one is uh, Forgive by Timothy Keller, uh, a well-known Bible teacher uh, today. And uh, he has an excellent overview of forgiveness uh, with great summaries and checklists that you can use uh, and, uh, and lots of kind of scriptural insights in his work as well. I think these two books are very helpful and I commend them to you if that's an area, an issue that you would like to know more about or if it's an issue that you are struggling with um, in, in a relationship that you have. So thank you for listening today and may God bless you in the week ahead.